0: Hello, I'm Mike Buscelli, your host for this podcast and the global community that has rallied around it. During this episode, we spent time with two patients who are recovering from their battle with COVID-19 as we feel it is essential to hear from the people in our communities that are most impacted by this virus. Ruth Sanchez is an executive director at Project Cure and resides in Phoenix, Arizona. And Brian Higgins is a Colorado real estate developer, architect, and general contractor at Oyster International. Both Ruth and Brian have been gracious enough to share their harrowing bouts with the coronavirus, and I feel incredibly grateful to be able to help share their stories with you and our community across the world. It is my hope you and your family will find value in what Ruth and Brian shared with us, and you will help spread their message to those closest to you as we continue to battle this pandemic together.
1: Welcome to Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli, where we highlight and speak with the innovators, the game changers, and the pioneers who are deeply passionate and relentless in solving the problems our world is facing today. This is your opportunity to connect with and learn from these leaders and to support them on their mission. Perhaps they will soon be hearing your story as well. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Vasselli. I look forward to having you on this journey with us.
0: Ruth and Brian, Thank you for taking the time to join me today and for being so brave and sharing your story as to what it has been like contracting and battling the coronavirus.
2: Hi, good to be here.
0: Hi, Mike.
3: I'm happy to be here as well.
0: Well, I'm grateful to both of you that you've agreed to be available for a conversation as you continue to rest and recover from this horrific virus. I know our discussion will be raw, authentic, and may sometimes be emotional for all of us, but I believe it is incredibly important that we hear and learn from patients and not just the staff that are taking care of them. But before we dive in, a bit of housekeeping. For our audience, while listening to any of our episodes, please make sure to join our online community at passionatepioneers.com in order to share feedback and ideas with our guests and to interact with the entire community. And lastly, subscribe to the podcast so you will automatically receive episode updates in your podcast player. Simply search Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, Ruth, I wanna start with you. Let's go back a bit How did this all begin? I know you're still recovering, and and again, thank you for being here today, but take us back a bit. How did this all begin for you? What did you experience? Where were you? Take us to those moments of time of when COVID-19 hit you.
2: I actually was on an assessment um, mission trip to Kenya and Ghana, and that was the beginning of March. On the way back, I did go through Europe. I spent a few days in France and that's where it began. I woke up as I was getting ready to go back to the States with sore throat, and I was feeling already warm. By the time I arrived in the States, it was clear that I needed to go see the doctor, so that's what I did. The day after I landed back in Phoenix, I went to emergency, and that's when I got my first COVID-19 test, and then it continued with the symptoms. I had to go for a second test because the first test came back false negative. And, you know, I was still really frustrated because I was running the fever. I was impacted with, you know, the, the joint pain and with the headaches and all of the symptoms and probably even more so with what was the most horrific was the uh, stabbing. It was like somebody was poking my lungs with an ice pick. So that's really where it started and that's where it really took the next three weeks were like a battle for my life.
0: And Ruth, we're going to go into exactly what it was like going through it, the symptoms, exactly what you were just describing and how terrible that was. But for our audience, can you give us some exact dates? Approximately when did all this happen to you? Was it in March?
2: It was in March. It was mid-March.
0: And do you believe that you contracted it in Kenya, in, in France? Do you and your family have any sense of where you actually contracted it?
2: So, yes, none of my in-country partners in Africa were not diagnosed, did not get have it. But I was in so many of the different tourist spots with thousands of tourists right before it closed. So that's where I believe I got it.
0: Got it. And again, we're going to come back to what it was like and the symptoms and the feeling of having it in just a moment. So, Brian, let's turn to you for a moment. Take us back a bit. Where were you? Do you remember when you got it? Can you give us some dates? Give us a little bit of that history lesson.
3: Sure. I was uh, was looking back and I, I did take some notes in my journal. Symptoms first started around March 23rd. They came on pretty light um, as far as you know, headaches and the pink eye symptoms were the first. My eyes were just excreting pus, and you'd wake up and they're glued shut. And So those were the only two at first and then uh, it developed into shortness of breath and just felt kind of rotten. I never really registered a fever and I'm not certain of my thermometer, but if I did have a fever, it was minor. So that wasn't a big part of this. But throughout that week, it it was escalating until it was Sunday when I couldn't get out of bed. My heart rate was beating through my chest for three days. I keep a like a Fitbit on and it's registering 120. And when I wake up and I haven't done anything yet, normally about half that, the shortness of breath came pretty much all at once. And that was on Monday. I think that was the 30th. And it was like a point where you're drowning or someone puts a bag over your head. It's pretty traumatic and you know you're panicking because you don't know if you're going to be able to take the next one. I live alone. My family made me uh, call them or call someone if something went haywire and it did on that Monday. So I ended up calling 911 and they came out with uh, what I presume was an ambulance. I couldn't see them because they parked so far away and one of the EMTs uh, got out and put on a full hazmat suit you would see an Outbreak, the movie. I mean, it would be the exact same one. Um, she had portable air and everything. So she came up and saw I was struggling. I came outside, but I, she wouldn't get close other than to put on a, a pulse box meter on your finger. And uh, it was registering 91, I think. She ended up telling me that they, they're not prepared for this virus and that I should drive myself to the hospital. And so that's what I did. The symptoms at that point were much worse than a shortness of breath. I mean, it was struggling to breathe. uh, And my heart rate, I I didn't know if I was having a cardiac arrest, but those two things are pretty paranoid uh, when they're stacked on top of one another. Uh, So I went to the ER. Um, They were set up for a parade to come through there, and I was the only one. You know, the doctor right off the bat said, we don't know this virus. What are you struggling with? And what would you like me to do? <laughs> so I, I was most concerned that I was going into cardiac arrest. So they ran a test and EKG, my heart was strong and my blood oxygen was 91. And so they sent me home after a few hours had come back a few years and, uh, you know, we're reserving the tests for people that are in very serious condition and uh, first responders, and so I was, you know, I, I understand why that's the case. But I never did get a test, and here we are, three, four weeks later. It's not gone away. It's gotten better. It'll get better for a few days, and then it comes back in full force. So you think you're through it, and you're not. You're just having a good day. So that's kind of where
0: I'm today. Well, thank you for that, Brian, and looking forward to discussing a bit more of those symptoms and what it was like going through that. So Ruth, let's go into more of your story. You got to Phoenix, you got back from France, you're starting to really show these symptoms. Tell us what it was like. You mentioned that the stabbing of an ice pick to the lungs, like, did this all happen at once? Were there different cycles of of the symptoms and the pain? Take us through what it was physically like to have this. So
2: it was. Day to day, different symptoms, and it was really hard to understand what my body was going through because I did lose my sense of smell and taste early on. And then I started to cough mucus. So it went from a dry cough to your lungs start feeling the infection. You struggle to breathe, just even going from my couch. To go get water, I was breathing like I ran a marathon and it was scary. But the second week was when everything came and I felt like I was having a heart attack because my first test came back as false well, negative. I had to drive 20 miles to a triage and it took probably about two hours to get ready because my heart was palpitating so hard and so fast, I thought I was having a heart attack. And so I would have to sit down and calm myself down and then get back up and, you know, to put my boots on. And then I would have to sit down for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to then go put my skirt on. And it was just horrific to think of am I even going to be able to drive 20 miles to a triage? And that was the only triage they had here in Phoenix. And so I was I was driving there you know, I was just praying. You know, I have to say my faith really took a big part in me staying positive that I just get there. And when I got there, I was showing papers from my first test from another ER. And I think this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, the nurse came and saw the paperwork. And she saw another hospital name. And she's just started to you know put her hand up like, nope, nope, you're at the wrong place. And I'm like, stop. And I put my hand up. Stop. I said... This has been a very long journey for me, and I'm just trying to feel better. I go, I actually made a phone call to come to this triage. So you're everyone on the inside is waiting for me, and it was like everybody made way for me to come. They have their gloves on. They have their mask on, and they quickly took me to a room and started to you know, the testing. And here's when I finally did say, since I was already tested before and they're saying, you know, they don't know if it's positive or negative. You might want to check if I have malaria because I also came in from Ghana and Kenya. And, you know, they were very efficient. They were very kind. And it was, you know, very scary. And when we were done, they're like, we're so sorry, we can't take you through the front. You're going to have to go through the back. And I'm like, Absolutely. Because I did not want anybody to get this. And so I made it back to my home. And that's when the waiting game starts. And you're in full delirium. I was in full delirium. I ran a fever for 15 days. And I had, you know, friends and family praying for me. I had them calling me. I would only take a few calls. Uh, one was from my boss. He every day he called and really walked me through the symptoms and why this was happening to my body and that distracted me from some of that fear that I had. And so I was waiting for the second test when the first test, I got a call from the Arizona Health Department, got me on the phone. You have COVID. I'm like, what I just took the test. Oh no, this is from the first one. So you know I believe that I, I had it from the very beginning. Some misinformation came from a staff that didn't understand protocols and processes because I was transferred so many times when I tried to make that first phone call. And so that's when it hit me They go through a shock. I went through a shock. He had to repeat himself a couple of times. And then he said, go to the hospital, go to emergency and go get oxygen. And I said, no. I said, as long as I sit here or lay down, I was sleeping 10, 15 hours a day. I'm fine. I can breathe. I'm not, you know, struggling so hard to breathe. But if I get up and start doing activities, that's when I would start struggling to breathe. So I did not want to go into the hospital. I felt, you know, that I could, you know, just wait another day. Every day was a new day, and I monitor myself. But I'm not crazy enough to know that if it was going to be a battle, I would have made that nine one one call.
0: Wow! Thank you for that. And. For both of you in a moment, we're going to go into the kind of the mental and the emotional trauma that this has caused. And I definitely wanted to spend some time there. But Brian, from your perspective, what was the biggest physical, maybe it's still happening, what's the biggest physical battle? And you've mentioned it as calling it the beast. What's been the biggest physical battle with the beast?
3: It's breathing. You know, if you have the flu, you lay in bed and you feel crappy, but you know you're going to get through it. You know, I I still don't breathe very well. I mean, I'd put it at fifty percent. It comes and it's so scary that uh, you know, it probably escalates on itself, but since that emergency room visit, I've grown to get used to where I'm at now and I know that I don't breathe well. I kind of freak out my friends and family, I think, when I'm videoing or whatnot, gasping. So for me that was the worst. I do feel terrible mostly in the evenings, and it seems like it comes back to haunt you when the sun goes down, and I don't know why that happens, but that's where you start to feel the worst in combination with the, the lack of being able to breathe.
0: And Brian, did you have any you know, underlying conditions? We hear that a lot in the media, oh, underlying conditions, comorbidities, being of older age. Did you have any underlying conditions? I
3: mean, I go to the doctor every year, a pretty healthy 45-year-old. I don't have anything that's underlying that's serious. In fact, the only thing I can think of is, is actually kind of related to the back end of this, and that's um I have psoriasis, which is, I guess technically an autoimmune situation where your skin erupts into hives or dry patches or whatnot. But I've had maybe four or five outbreaks throughout my life, and they seem to always follow strep throat. I got my tonsils out, haven't had strep throat, and it's gone away for many years. And then this virus has triggered it. And so it must be a virus response. That's the only thing that's abnormal as far as uh, any underlying condition.
0: Well, thanks for that, Brian. We're going to come back to you in just a moment to discuss the kind of the mental and emotional side of this. So I want to turn it to Ruth and let's dive in on that a bit. How has this been for you mentally, emotionally, spiritually? How has this been for you through this process?
2: Well, I'll start with this spiritually. It's just made my faith stronger because I believe in prayer. I also believe in having the faith that I was going to get to the other side, but I'm also very aware that I'm very much responsible to be a part of that healing. And so mentally, I get triggered by seeing the news. I get triggered when I have a cough because in my mind, I'm like, Is this here? Is it back? And then the fatigue that still continues, especially in the afternoon, really gets me emotional because, sorry, I am always a highly energetic person. (laughs) I've been like that since I was little. And for me to feel sidetracked, by this virus has really caused me to, to take a step back and to take it easy, which is so hard for me to do because I'm wanting to get back to work. I'm wanting to get back to how I used to feel before. I'm a very healthy person, I don't have underlying health issues. And so when the fatigue comes in or the brain fog, it scares me because I want to get back to normal and I don't know if I am because a lot of this virus people are scientists or medical field they don't know or they don't know what to expect and what the long-term effects are and that and that really affects me so every day is a new day every day I treat it and I'm you know I'm gonna take it easy I'm gonna take care of myself if I need a break I'm gonna take a break but it is very much an emotional roller coaster for me as I get back to my health
0: well, thanks for being so authentic and and real about that, Ruth. It's difficult. Brian, I'll turn it to you. How are you doing mentally, or spiritually, emotionally, or otherwise with this beast that you've been battling? Sure. Let's
3: talk about isolation. You know, we're all isolated. We're all something us or lucky enough to be with family or whatnot. But when when this happens and you get tested or you develop the symptoms, um, becomes you become the person with the plague, and <laughs> so. People shouldn't, and they won't get near you. They don't want to even get within eyesight of you. And that, I think, is the hardest part as far as mentally. I've been self quarantined for a month. And the social isolation, is, I mean, it's like you're in solitary confinement. And that's probably the hardest part on the emotional side. Uh, you get down, you feel bad, you don't know if you're ever going to feel better and uh you can't really share it with anybody I and mean, you can call or video but it, you're you're all alone and you gotta win the battle by yourself basically um, the doctors don't give you a lot to to help because they don't know well enough to be able to do something about it so uh, my personal care for this made a video appointment and she says there's no treatment and we can't get you tested because there aren't enough so basically, you've got to win on your own. And, you know, I normally am pretty up with the res- regard to spirits and whatnot, but I've broken down every other day on this. Just with the misery, that's all.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that, Brian. And Ruth, I want to now turn to you and let's also talk about the impact on others around you. What has this been like for your friends or your immediate family uh, and loved ones? What has it been like? interacting with them or the impact on them. I'll just open it up broadly there for you. What has it been like with loved ones and friends?
2: It's been difficult because they want to help me. And I'm usually the helper. I'm the one who helps everybody. And it's difficult for me to say, yeah, I need help. But when I do, they're they're there. But they are also very (laughs) careful about getting around me. I have a friend who came to my office and delivered some items for me. And when he wouldn't hug me, it really affected me. Because when you go to the hospitals, and those are all strangers, they treat you like you have a plague. And it makes you feel isolated. You're already isolated as it is. And now you feel even more isolated because they see you as bubonic plague, you know, and you're going to give them something. So, okay, that's okay. But when your your loved ones, your friends, your colleagues really you know have to protect themselves and I get it I totally understand I'm like nope so I'm now getting used to air hugs but now people want to hug me and I don't want to hug them because now it's kind of almost flipped where like no I want to make sure that you're protected I don't want to put you into any kind of danger even though I've been asymptomatic for this is my fourth week I'm now so accustomed to it and and actually I'm fighting a little bit of agoraphobia and my family mostly in San Diego. So they call me every day. We talk every day. They check in on me. And so it's just difficult to not feel that support in a more intimate way with a hug, with a handshake, you know, sitting next to somebody, because I'm also isolated by myself and it's difficult because this is a battle that you really are fighting on your own. So it has affected my relationships, but you know, in, in other ways, it's changed it so that we're also now looking for each other's, you know, how they're doing mentally. So, you know, we're, we're there for each other now. Now I'm looking out for them to make sure they don't have symptoms.
0: Well, thanks for that as well, Ruth. It's good to hear uh, that perspective as well for the people that are around us. Um, Brian, how are, you know, all the folks around you, the close network around you, how are they handling it? What has been kind of revealing with COVID-19 with the folks that are close to you?
3: Sure. You know, I, I would say that most people are in a lot of forms of denial. I, I was until I, I just finally couldn't deny it anymore. So, you know, my friends and family started with, okay, keep hydrated. or You know, I'm sure everything's fine, uh, but they're checking on me constantly. And then it keeps developing. And um, then they really started to get worried. So, you know, people would... Uh, my close family and friends would bring supplies for me because I, you know, run out of just about everything. Uh And so we have a system where I, I have a cooler outside and people show up and they, you know, put in some things and, you know, kind of wave through the window and, you know, off they go. And I'm very grateful for all of that. I probably gained weight through all this because of the amount of food that was left for me. But it's scary. And it's scary for them. They don't know. You know what I'm going through minute by minute, and so they're they're worried. and you know I don't know many people, if any, that do have it as well. there there's potentially one of my friends has it, but he was tested negative, and I'm oxygen for three days. so it's just this big unknown and and it's scary, but I feel like it is bringing the human side out of people to take care of each other, and you know that's heartwarming for sure, and I'm very grateful.
0: Absolutely. Now, before we start wrapping it up, I, I do want to ask how both of you are doing kind of current state and then really want to end on what you want others to know and learn from you. But before we do that, I did ask over the weekend, we are here recording today on April 20th, and over the weekend I asked our community over at PassionatePioneers.com if they had any questions for you from their perspective. And, and last in one of our community members, he asked an interesting question. He said, would you be willing to wear an I'm immune badge? Is that something that you would consider? And I'll start with Brian first. Has that ever entered your mind? You know, as we think about how do we kind of open society back up, people that have have contracted and recovered, isn't an I'm immune badge something we should consider? And is that something that you've thought of?
3: Yeah, I haven't considered that. I think it would be helpful. And I I would probably tattoo that (laughs) because, uh, you know, it's so serious. And uh, what people don't know, you know, if the person across them uh, is carrying it, had it or hasn't had it. And, you know, I, I'm more libertarian at heart, but I would enjoy wearing something that made people feel at ease.
0: Sure. And Ruth, from your perspective, is that something that you would consider or have considered this wearing an I'm immune badge? And what might that look like once we start opening up society more broadly?
2: Oh, I absolutely would promote anyone who's immune, including myself, to wear that. I think it would be very helpful for people to understand that you're not going to give them anything or get it as well.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. And, you know, all these things that we got to now consider and think through in this, in this new reality. We'll ask one more from our community. And this was interesting too. And I don't know if there could even be an answer to this, but I'll ask it. It was from Phyllis in our community. And she says, what if anything would you have done differently to avoid the virus? And I'll start with Ruth on that one.
2: This is a conversation I had with my boss because this was related to my traveling to Africa and me wanting some downtime and it was a personal choice, I would have not changed it. I don't ever live a life of regrets. I struggled with it that I may have gotten it because I made a choice to spend some days in Paris, but I don't regret it because nobody would have expected this to happen to anybody and I can't live my life that way. But So I'm fine with the way I conducted myself in the last month and how I may have gotten it.
0: And Brian, how about you?
3: You know, I'm still trying to deduce exactly where I got it. I think it's one of two places. I think, you know, my construction site had a few workers that went down sick just before I did. So that could be, I would say that's probable. And the other thing is, you know, I was in Italy. I was in Italy on February 8th to the 11th. And what's horrifying is if I did get in Italy and I, didn't become symptomatic for six weeks after that, you know, that's a serious problem, but I wouldn't change any, I wouldn't do anything differently. I can't wait to get out there and travel more. I build, I like building, I need to work and like being around people. So there's nothing, nothing to do
0: differently. And we have two more questions and Brian, will stay with you on this one. So how are you doing today? Again, April 20th here. Important to date these episodes because this coronavirus story is moving so fast. So Brian, how are you doing today? Physically, mentally, emotionally, otherwise, how are you doing?
3: Today's a good day. I feel good. I don't have the aches, and the fever, or anything. Breathing challenged, but I'm used to it. Mentally. You know, I think it was Friday or Saturday. I was not in a good place and I ended up reaching out to a few of my friends and they came up and, uh, on Sunday and kind of hung out from a distance <laughs> for a little while, brought me some food because I was down to rice <laughs> and that helped. And knowing that people are out there and do want to do something and are there for you really helps, but you have to recognize that you need to ask for the help and let people know that you're not doing well. And so, you know, mentally today is is pretty good. I would like to know when this is going to end and give me a little more hope. But until then, I'm just going day by day for sure.
0: And Ruth, how are you doing today? Same for you.
2: It's day by day. It could be good days. It could be bad days. Last Wednesday was really hard day. I was very emotional. Uh, it seems like things were coming at me very quickly. And I want to be 100%. And I was basically emotional because I started to understand I was not there and I was at 50%. So I feel that day I was feeling disappointed in myself and I felt like I was disappointing others. And that's not how I like to conduct my life. I think every day you have to take one step at a time. When I do get out, I now like will feel the wind and take a deep breath and listen to the birds. And I've always appreciate in my life. I do a lot of work out in the community and out in the international field where I feel like I'm living a profound dream come true with what I do. But now it's it's kind of taking a step back and I'm really trying not to take it for granted. I have my life. I have great community of friends and family and work. And so it's just having those good days and loving it And also understanding you're going to, I'm going to have bad days and that's okay. And I can reach out to a few friends in tears, trying to make sense of my feelings and my thoughts. And when you have a foggy moment, you know, that's also very difficult, but it's just one day at a time. And that's all I'm going to say is I'm just going to have an expectation that I get through the day and, you know, not about the future yet. I just want to make it through that day.
0: Well, let's talk about, Ruth, I want to stay with you on this. This is our last question. We're going to start wrapping things up here. You know, when we were working this uh, episode up with all three of us, it became abundantly clear from both of you that you really want to share your story for others to learn from you and what you've gone through. So, Ruth, what is it that you want others to know about your experience that you've gone through? What are some of the biggest takeaways from this that you want others to know about?
2: Well, the biggest takeaway is probably the most serious. And we don't know enough about this virus and how it behaves within our bodies and what that long-term effect is. So if you can stay at home, work from home, stay home. Don't put yourself in harm's way. Don't put others in harm's way and really take those um, instructions of the social distancing. If you can If you have a mask, wear a mask. You have gloves, wear the gloves, and really take it to that extent of keeping yourself healthy. And the second one is a little bit more of, I had to stay positive every day, and it was so hard. And so you can get through this. I got through this, and I'm on the other side of this. And so there is hope. People are surviving COVID. Some people have minor symptoms, some very, very serious life threatening symptoms. But you can stay positive and reach out to friends, lean into your faith, whatever that faith may be. And And there is hope. So that's what got me through is that hope that I had. And now I'm on the other side and I'm super happy to be on the other side of this.
0: Thank you for that, Ruth. And Brian? You know, this is one of the things when, when you first reached out to me is that you wanted to get this word out. So, can you let others know what you want them to learn from you and your experience?
3: Sure. And I'm not a doctor, this is not medical advice, but there are some things that helped me through the hard points. And someone gave me a pulse oxygen meter you put it on your finger, and you know if you're deteriorating or not. And when you're lying there and you feel like you're doing very poorly, you can quantify it you put it on your 93 92 you know those levels are able to keep me sane and know that i'm not rapidly going downhill i find that a little bit of exercise helps and i'm not talking about working out i'm talking about walking 100 yards or you know go up the stairs and down and just doing a little bit of movement seems to be helping uh, the respiratory situation and lastly, I don't blame the CDC. I don't blame doctors because no one's seen this before. But what I can say is that when, you know, the CDC guidelines tell you, okay, self quarantine until these three things happen, which will print it out for me. You are ER and my doctor confirm them. The seven days since your first symptoms was number one. Uh, number two, you have had no fevers for 72 hours. And number three was um, had an improvement in your respiratory symptoms. Uh, I hit that point. I cleared all of those about a week and a half ago, and then it came back. So be a little generous in your isolating time. Don't get too eager to get out there and um, be in society until you're certain that you're not going to give this to someone else.
0: Well, thank you for those points to think about and consider and to let others know. I appreciate that, Brian. and. Now, as we wrap up, I never would have thought when I started this podcast last year that I would be interviewing patients that are recovering from what is now a global pandemic. And this may be one of the most important podcast episodes I think I've done so far because I think it is so important for others to hear from directly from the patient and hear the patient's voice. So, Ruth, thank you for taking time today today. Thank you for being with us and sharing your truth and sharing your story. I appreciate you being here with us today, Ruth. Thank you. And Brian, thank you for kickstarting this episode. I appreciate you reaching out to me a couple weeks ago and wanting your story to be shared and uh, being of service to others. So I appreciate everything that you've done and are continuing to do to get the word out. And thank you for taking time to be with us on this episode today.
3: Great. Thank you. And if any of your listeners want to talk it through or have any questions, I'm definitely available anytime
0: to do that. Well, thank you to you both and to our listening community. You can head over to passionatepioneers.com, our free online community, where we will have topic areas for COVID-19 to discuss some of the things that Ruth and Brian shared with us today and beyond. So come join us, come join the conversation. But again, on behalf of Passionate Pioneers and our entire community, Thank you to Ruth and Brian for being with us today.
1: Thank you for joining us today on Passionate Pioneers with Mike Baselli. We'd love to hear your feedback about the podcast so we can continue to improve this community and to further support the pioneers being featured. Lastly, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and invite your friends and colleagues to join us. This is Passionate Pioneers with Mike Basselli. I look forward to having you back with us during our next episode.